This is an SBC Media Partners production. Swung on, hit high and deep. Right field. Good at feet. Good at feet. It is out of Phillies fans, these are your glove stories with Murph. Let's check in with Greg Murphy. Murph, you got a special guest, huh? Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Glove Stories with Murph, brought to you by the good folks at the Parks Casino Sportsbook app and Red Robin. And it is a really great to have our guest here today, 15 seasons in the big leagues. He was a two-time World Series champ. He uh, was also part of that beloved 93 team that went to the World Series here in Philadelphia. An outstanding career, a two-time All-Star as well. Our guest today is Danny Jackson. We bring him in right now. Danny, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you, Greg. You make me sound great. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You were pretty darn good, and uh, I don't have to. Uh, I don't have to make it up. You know, you go back and uh, and look at the career, and it really was. I mean, you know, so many t- just to get to the big leagues and be a big leaguer is such a major accomplishment. But what you were able to do during the course of your career, your postseason play, uh, when you put it all together and you look at it, a pretty special career for sure. Yeah, it, I, I'm happy with it. Uh, the only thing I, I I don't like about it is that four ERA I ended up with because of the the injuries of the last two years yeah. that I had and tried to fight back from that uh, ankle injury that really cost me uh, a couple more years in the big leagues. But uh, other than that, I'm I'm real happy. I've I've been fortunate to be with a bunch of great guys, players, uh, Hall of Famers, and and obviously played in uh, six championship uh, uh, games. Uh, with six different teams. And so, you know, very fortunate, very fortunate. Yeah, you know, guys uh, who have 15-year big league careers, there are a lot of guys that never even get to the postseason in 15 seasons. It's not an easy thing to do. You were lucky to do it early in your career, and you were lucky to do it later in your career. You kind of got a a chance to see it from – from both perspectives, I would imagine when you went to the World Series uh, with Kansas City back in 85, you were, I think you were 23 years old at the time. You probably thought, all right, this is easy. We'll get to the World Series every year, right? Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I thought it would be great because I had a chance to to go to the World Series. Uh, I was thinking that we'd go to the World Series, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight times. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's difficult, but um, uh, with that team, though, we were fortunate too because of of you know we were down. I think six or seven games from California at the. Uh, at the start of the all-star break or the end of the all-star break. And then uh, we were able to come back and, and, and win. And so we were fortunate with, with that plus the playoffs we were fortunate with and then in the world series. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to that in a minute, but I want to take you back a, a little bit uh earlier in your life because uh, you were a, a great athlete in high school as so many of you guys were a three a th- three sport athlete you played football you played basketball you, and you played baseball uh, your brother was an outstanding basketball player if I if I remember correctly the stories right didn't he have he had a chance to make it in the NBA before injuries kind of kind of took that away from him right yeah, that that's that's correct. He was playing with the University of Wyoming. Was drafted by the Kansas City Kings here in Kansas City at the time when they had a team. He was drafted in the fourth round, um, and that was after he had his senior year. He went in for a layup, and then all by himself, came down on the knee, and the knee exploded. And back then, in '82, '83, right in that, you know, the the surgeries are are a lot different today than they were back then and recoveries, rehabs and all that. So unfortunately for him, uh, that ruined his career. 
Yeah, it's such a shame when you when you think back and you think about that kind of thing and what might have been. But I've talked to so many guys uh, that have played in the big leagues who talk about big brothers that, that pushed them to be the kind of athlete that they were. Did, did, did you guys have that sibling rivalry where you were like, hey, I, I want to be just as good at, at, as an athlete as he is kind of thing? Well, for me, I wanted to be as good as him. Um, my brother was really a gifted, gifted athlete. Um, he was a starting quarterback for three years. Uh, and then he was uh, basketball, obviously started as a freshman on the senior team. Wow. And then as a, uh, he did track and field and held the record for high jump and track and field for a couple of years. Um, so anything he did, he picked up pretty quickly. Now I was a little bit different because I had to work a little extra harder. Now I wanted to be as good as him. And then, and that's all the pressure that, you know, come from high school and coaches and sure. things like that. They tell you, Oh, why can't you be like your brother? And I'm like, well, I'm not like my brother. And, but at the same time, you know, I kept on pushing myself, pushing myself to, to be as good as him, uh, if not better, but, um, uh, that's a good, good thing but also it could be a bad thing. It all depends on how the people or the, or the person takes it. I took it as a challenge right? more so other, other, sometimes other uh, kids in that situation, they take it as a resentment. Uh, my brother and I are real close to today. And we always talk about all the stuff that, that happened in high school or, or what happened after our careers. So, um, you know, we're still close and that, and that's the main thing. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, you get uh, drafted uh, early, but you decide to go to junior college at that point and then drafted again uh, right at the top of the draft by Kansas City. Um, so obviously a good decision, I guess, on your part to to, to wait and uh, and see what would happen uh, in the, the second round uh, of the draft for you. Um, the second time you get drafted, easy decision. I'm going pro at that point. Well, they... It I went to Oklahoma University after uh, I had a full ride there and then didn't do well in school, obviously, because of a big, big school and all those great things that happens in, in big schools. You know, yes. it's kind of like, oh, let's go have fun first and 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 then, you know, worry about the, the baseball and, and, the, and the grades later. But uh, so then I transferred to junior college after my first year and my parents were mad. They were mad at me. I was like, what are you doing? And but also at the same time, I had a little setback when I was 16. People were suing my parents because of something I did. And so right. I was trying to take care of that and, and made sure I was going to take care of that situation. And uh, so I went to the junior college, got drafted, drafted number one, and knew it was by Kansas City. They gave me a good signing bonus back then of $55,000. <laughs> Amazing, right? So, yeah. <laughs> And, uh, so, you know, with that and, and, and everything resolved itself after, you know, the, the incident that, that I had when I was 16. So, uh, and it turned out real well because, but also at the same time, I was smart enough. And I told my parents, I said, listen, I'm going to make sure that if I don't make it, and if I don't make it in three years, I'm going to have Kansas city pay for my schooling, but I want to go to architectural school. I don't want to go to some big school and learn all that stuff you really don't need to learn and, and uh, because I wanted to be an architect. So, okay. uh, so I had that covered and, and, but didn't have to worry about that. 
No, you didn't, because uh, things happen pretty quickly for you uh, in the baseball career. <laughs> Again, I've, I've talked to so many guys over the course uh, of the years, and uh, you know, some guys just toil in the minor leagues for years and years and years, and then they get their opportunity uh, to be a big leaguer and they make the most of it. Uh, it was a little different for you. You were on the fast track, and uh, you what spent about a year and a half down in the minor leagues. Is that is that about right? It's, it's close to two years, two and a half years, um, but. When I signed, you know, and I was kind of a brash kid and all that going in, and I told the guys when I signed, I said, you know, I'm signing to get to the big leagues in three years. If I don't make it, then, you know, I'm not even going to, you know, twirl down in the, the minor leagues. And uh, then when I got down to the minor leagues and saw the different guys and, and what they were doing, some guys that were married and and some guys are married and have kids and been in the, in the minor leagues. And I'm like, Holy smokes. <laughs> so I said, I'm not getting married until I'm in the big leagues. That's number one. <laughs> and then number two is that I don't want to be down there and, and have to struggle like that and, and have your wives worry about wherever you go, you got to go and, and get a job wherever city that they're in, because you're only making five or 600 bucks. And, right. and then, uh, then until you get to triple a, then you make a thousand. But then if you're on a 40 man roster, that all changes. Uh, so it's, it's not a good life uh, for, for a family to live down there. So I stayed single all the way through and, and, until I got to Kansas City, and then that's when I met my wife. And uh, so that's what my goal was, is to get there within two and a half years. And again, I told those guys, I'm going to be up there in two and a half years, three years. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to happen or I'm done. You know, I, it, it's funny because I think you have to have that kind of you know, belief in yourself and you have to have that kind of confidence, um, you know, guys that don't believe that about themselves probably never will get there. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, there, there, there's something about the professional athletes saying, you know, I'll, it's, I'm about it. I, I've got this. I'm going to get there no matter what. Right. Yeah. Um, and I look at it this way that if you don't have a, a high enough goal um, and, and you may not reach it and that's fine, but you're going to get close to it and it's going to be, you're, you're going to put yourself in a pretty good position. Um, and I always, my goal from the very get-go, even from a little kid, I wanted to pitch in game seven of the World Series. And it didn't make any difference what team I was on. I wanted to be the guy that had the ball in game seven to try to win the World Series. And that's what I my goal was. Um, but I think a lot of times, a lot of kids or even some people, they never set their goals high enough. They're satisfied with where there they're may be or – or it's just that, you know, their enthusiasm to, to be able to, to reach that higher goal is not, goal is not there. Mm -hmm. And I had several conversations with my kids. I said, you know, my kids were playing baseball. I one of my sons, and I'm honest with my kids, you know, and I, I tell them all. And so I had two boys and, you know, one was not working hard enough. I'm like, Hey, you're going to have to work hard. I mean, if, if you want to, play this, do that, whatever sport right. you want to do, you're going to have to work hard. It's th that's the bottom line. And then my other son, I asked him one time ago, what's your goal? You know, cause he was playing baseball and he goes, ah, just to see how far I get. And I looked at him like, what? <laughs> I just want to see how far I get. And I'm like, that's not a goal. And I said, a goal is pitching in 
game seven of the World Series. Right. Pagula was saying, I'm going to make the major league team and, and stay there for 10 years or something. Uh, you you got to have specific goals to to really get where you want to get. And, and and I think a lot of athletes that are in the big leagues are do have that. Yeah. But there are some even when they get to the big leagues, because then when they get to the big leagues, they're kind of satisfied. You, know, you can't be satisfied there. You got to you got to continue on working and, and better yourself or also, you know, try to get get to a World Series if you want to. Because to me, the ultimate goal is to win a championship. Well, that ultimate goal uh, presented itself pretty early in your career. You make your major de- major league debut in 1983 uh, with Kansas City, but by 1985, as we touched on, uh, Kansas City is in the World Series, and here you are pretty darn close to your goal of pitching in a Game 7, right? In the American League Championship Series, uh, you came in uh, with the backs up, your backs up against the wall. You, you got the baseball in a game that was a must-win for Kansas City, and you went out there and pitched lights out. Yeah, I was fortunate to be able to, uh, well, I'll, I'll back and I tell guys, everyone a little story about this because I was actually supposed to pitch game three or game four, one of the two. And they, Charlie Brandt had a bad game against uh, Toronto in the first uh, game. So they moved him up to pitch game four, I think is what it was. And, okay. and then they moved me back to game five. So when game five came, came up, I had a little chip on my shoulder just because, Hey, you know, back then I was brash again. I'm like, well, why would you start Charlie Lebrand again? If he, he got beat this bad, I, you know, so let me have my shot. And so fortunately we were down, uh, uh, three to one. And, and that's the first year that they even moved it to seven games. Right. So fortunate for enough, I got the the start in Kansas City game five and, and, you know, pitched a shutout game. And we went back to Toronto and won the next two games to the World Series. So um, it was, I was fortunate enough, but also uh, I was naive and also brat. <laughs> You know, so I had a good mix. <laughs> yeah, well, guess what? Being naive at that point uh, in that big moment, maybe it's a blessing, right? You know, you you almost don't you don't even understand uh, the moment and how big it is. You know, looking back, perhaps you do now, but uh, when they handed you that baseball, all you could think about was, "Yeah, it's my turn. Let's go," kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, another good story about Game Five too. Then is uh dan quisenberry is the uh the backup uh uh catcher for kansas city he came in and he said well, i'm laying on the table getting you know rubbed down and stretch and all that and he goes hey dj don't worry about it you pitch bad we go home <laughs> <laughs> well there you go <laughs> lay it on the table yeah yeah so i mean that's a good thing about it though you i mean i knew the situation either I pitch well, then we go on. Yeah. If I pitch bad, we go home. So it, it's just a matter of uh, shutting everything out, concentrating on what you're going to do. And, and, and actually, and it's not cliche, but it's taking one pitch at a time. And yeah. at that time, I was taking one pitch at a time and, and going through. I wasn't thinking about anything further than the, that next pitch I was going to throw. 
you know, I, I was looking back uh, at uh, your career and, and looking at some of the guys you played with, and you, you started off by talking a little bit about, I mean, some of, some of your teammates, some of the names that, uh, that you know, you were connected with in your career, some of the managers that you played for. You know, you, the list of managers that, that you played for is like a who's who in, in, in terms of baseball men uh, when you stop to think about it. Uh, was there anyone of, of the guy, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, Dick Hauser, Lou Pinella, Don Zimmer, Jim Fergosi, Joe Torrey. These are all guys that you played for in your career. Uh, any, any one of those guys more than another kind of, you know, teach you and, and, and help you become the player that you were? Well, I think um, the, the hard thing about it is like Dick Hauser was more of a, uh, laid back manager and he let the coaches kind of help you out. Um, I learned a lot, uh, in earlier in my career from, uh, Dan Quisenberry and, uh, Hal McCray. Okay. Hal McCray, I used to sit by, beside Hal McCray and he used to tell me, he said, DJ, watch his, watch his hands, his hands dropping. He can't hit this. And then watch his front foot. He's lunging out. You know, he can't do it. So I would watch the hitters from there on the game before I pitch or, or two games before I pitch. And then I would have an idea already. Okay. Well, this guy can't do this. This guy can't do that because his hands in, in that situation. So I, my game plan was, was that, uh, facing any hitters that I saw. Now he says, watch this guy, this guy here, you know, he's pretty balanced. He's right on. Well, you had to mix up your pitches to them or it's strength against strength. And so I always believe strength against strength, as opposed to uh, trying to throw something that I'm not good at throwing right. uh, to try to hit a pitcher's or a hitter, hitter's weakness. Um, so I learned a lot from him and then went on. And then uh, with guys like uh, Don Zimmer was a, a, a character, yeah. uh, you know, just, <laughs> Everyone knows all the stuff that he did, which is okay. <laughs> yeah. But um, the guys that I really learned a, a lot more and were great was was Jim Fergosi, Lou Pinella. I played with uh, Jimmy Leland and and Tori. Yeah. And they're all different in their ways, you know, but how they handle players. Um, Lou Pinella's was hands-on and, and like, okay, you either do it my way or you're going to set the bench. Jim was more let our team play like we played and we take care of ourselves. But if he had to step in, he steps in and, but you're going to play the Philly way, which was, you know, you play hard for nine innings and that's it. And that's what I asked. And you show up on time, be ready to go. And if you're not, then you won't be playing. Uh, Tory, he was another guy just that was like a, uh, Dick Hauser, but he, he communicated more with the players and made sure that you're okay. And he was more like a, I would say like a, a an Andy Reid okay. with players. He took guys and really cared about the players and, and wanted the players to, uh, hey, how's your wife? How's your family? That type thing. More genuine about you as an individual and a person to make sure you're okay as well as you're okay with playing baseball. Uh, that's interesting. Interesting comparison to uh, to a guy Philadelphia knows very well, Andy Reid, and Kansas City as well. Obviously, the connection there. Um, all right, so uh, 1990. You know, again, a couple more years with Kansas City. The 1990, you're in uh, 
in Cincinnati and and here you are again in another situation and a chance to win another championship what what do you remember about uh that particular year you had a terrific year that year and uh what do you remember about that championship well what we remember the most is that uh, we were never picked to hmm. to do what we did and we started out nine and oh we were hot and and then we ended up uh i don't know we had 21 wins and maybe you know five or six losses somewhere around in there which we were already 15 games over 500 at that time you kind of know okay you got a good shot at at, at winning and and going to the the playoffs and world series and everyone was talking about uh at the time you know about pittsburgh pittsburgh was a very good team and uh so when we went and we were playing Pittsburgh, they, you know, obviously Pittsburgh was favored to, to against us. Mm-hmm. And I had a, a good game against Pittsburgh and, and it to help us to continue on in the championship. And then, and then, uh, the thing we really remember back in, in 1990 is that Oakland A's and the A's were supposed to pick and beat us four to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, it was reversed. We, we won, <laughs> we beat, we swept them. And the great thing about that there too, is that just, it was always someone different, you know, just like when we were, when I was in Philly and even in Kansas city, it's always someone different. It wasn't yeah, the same true. guy. Right. And I think that if you look at all the world series and playoffs, it's always someone different that when you have a championship and you, and you win, because you got to have that, you got to have the full team, uh, participate or, or, or do something well or, or during a game which advances you and, and, and makes you, you win the game or win the championship or World Series, one of the one of the three. So back then it, it was, you know, Billy Hatcher coming out and had eight straight hits. Sable was hitting 500. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's on top of Barry Larkin and, and Eric Davis both playing very well and then jose rio throwing lights out and so um it it was a all-around great team great defense uh played uh which we knew going in after the first game that we were going to win we didn't know that we were going to win four straight but we knew we were going to win because of the way they played baseball and the way the national league at that time played baseball because we we play for one run an inning they're playing for just a home run home run right yeah yeah and we knew that just by what we what we were doing and and our pitching staff too also uh with the nasty boys uh that once we get to the sixth inning and we're ahead it's it's going to be pretty much over yeah, that was that was a fun team to watch uh, because you you talk about playing. I'm a National League guy. Obviously, I grew up in Philadelphia. Playing that way of playing playing that brand of baseball, that National League brand of baseball that we don't see a whole lot of anymore. You guys did it perfectly uh, for most of that season, and that is the reason why you were were in a chance. You know, had that opportunity to win a World Series, and you go out and win it because. Uh, Sometimes those bats go cold, and if you're not hitting three run home runs, you know, like the A's were were bred to do, uh, a team like yours jumps up and and you know can take it and and run with it, and that's what you did. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and that's the same thing we did in Philly, you know, yeah. and that's why that's why I loved it back then because 
and they want to call it small ball. I just call it, I don't really call it small ball. I call it uh, baseball. Baseball. <laughs> because yeah. it, basically, that's what baseball was taught for us. You know, hey, yeah. if you get a guy on first base, you got to move that guy over, you know? And then the other thing is that if you're a pitcher out there and, and your team is, you know, struggling to score runs, you better make sure that you're, you're on and, and doing what you can to keep them in the game. And so those are the things that, you know, we were taught back then. And and I was taught back when I was young, you do everything that you can to make sure your team's in the game or your team has a chance of winning or wins the game. Yeah. So, and, and, and you're right. And that is what 93, uh, that team 93 was able to do. You come to Philadelphia in 1993. Now you come in uh, at that point as a veteran, a guy who has won two world series. Um, and you know, the, the different moves that were made in that off season to put together that team. Cause we all remember 1992 was a, was not a good year for the Philadelphia Phillies, but 93, we knew very early on. I mean, I know you guys, because I've talked to enough of you guys, you guys knew in spring training that you had something special. I think the city started to realize it in April and May that maybe this was a different kind of team. And it was because all the pieces that were brought in, including yourself, knew knew you had a job to do and went out and did it to the best of your ability every time you guys stepped on the field. And that's what made it special. And the fact that you had a lot of fun doing it too. Right. And that's important. Yeah, we, we did have a, this was one of the closest teams I ever was ever a part of. And again, you're never going to see that again, uh, unless they change the the way they play baseball today, which I don't think is going to happen, but you'll never see another 1993 team ever. Um, These guys, all of us, we all knew what we were, what we could do, what we were good at, and then how we could help the team. Now, that doesn't mean that we didn't have any setbacks as far as individuals and and sure. all of us. We, we all had a setback here or there, got got a little, uh, oh, oh, me, me, I, I, oh, I'm, you know, what was me type thing, you know. Well, that was all straightened out in the, in the training room. And so that's why in, in that year, you know, people talk about us and – well, we had 15 guys in the training room every, every, every night. And, and the reason why is because that's where Dutch was, you know, he was always icing and, and back in there. So we straightened out a lot of stuff either on there or even on the bus or, um, and just made sure that, you know, these guys get all of us had our heads on straight and that the focus was not on you personally, but more on the team and, and make sure the team, uh, continues to, to grow and, and, do the things that we need to do to win a championship. And so uh, the thing I remember too is about Philadelphia in that year is that the fans, it was one of the closest teams or the closest team that I ever felt that I was closest to the fans. Yeah. And, and that was amazing. And, and the, the way the fans came and, and backed us and, and, all the things and and yeah if we had a bad game they booed us but see that didn't bother us because we knew we were bad that day and so that really didn't bother us um because we know that if we go out and have a great day that those fans are going to be on our backs and 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 cheer us on and and say you know you're great but they're honest and knowing that and even with the broadcast that comes from the broadcast too because those two guys richie ashburn and uh 
Harry. Yeah. It's like Harry, Harry Callis. You know, yeah. Harry Callis. You know, those guys were honest. Now, there's some guys that get, get PO'd at, at, at every once in a while at them. I'm like, I turn, it's like, well, what did he say that was wrong? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing. Okay. So you can't get pissed off. You know, you, it's, or you can get pissed off and then do better, but don't get pissed off and say, woe is me because they're telling the truth. And then, yeah. you know, the truth, the truth hurts you that bad, then you ought to be quitting the game. So, and that's what I felt about all my career. Yeah. Those guys, you know, they can tell you the fans and all that. If, if you're doing bad, that's fine. I know I'm doing bad, but if I'm doing great and they're still on you, then that's fine too. Uh, you know, so that, that's what the difference between the Phillies and the fans and, 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 and most other fans, cause they remember and, and they know. Yeah. And, and, and here we are close to 30 years later and still talking about that team almost every day in Philadelphia. There's and, and, and the guys on that team, yourself included are all so fondly remembered. Um, and so many of them are still around on a, you know, on a weekly monthly uh, basis that we see these guys, we get a chance to talk to them and the fans do too. And they remember, they remember how much joy was brought uh, to the city in 1993. There's no doubt about it. I, there's a great story. There's two stories. One that has been told on the podcast a couple of times. So, um, but early in spring training, when Dave Holland's kind of challenged the team and said, look, if I get hit one more time by a, by an, uh, an opposing pitcher and one of you guys doesn't do something about it, we're going to have a problem. And Tommy green took care of business early on in spring training. And, and, and a lot of the guys that I've spoken to said that was a big moment for the team in terms of coming together. There was another moment later in the season that involved you directly. Um, you, you mentioned the woe was me. There was an attitude, maybe a, a part, a, a conversation on the bus happening where guys were maybe not taking responsibility for not certain things. And you had had enough at that point, right? Can you tell that story for us? Yeah, well, it, it, and it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, we had just gotten beat right before the all-star by San Fran and, and they, they whooped on us a little bit and, and that was fine. Uh, we didn't play well. And, but then the guys started complaining about, Oh, the umpires and, and not getting this break, not getting that break. And then they were talking about, you know, well, I'm not getting a play, enough playing time, this, that, whatever. And so we're on a, a long flight and then get on the bus and hear about it, hear about it, kind of, Really got ir really irritated with it. So I turned around and said, all you guys, I can't really say all the, the <laughs> words that go along with it, obviously, but basically telling you guys, stop being a bunch of wimps and stop thinking about yourself, start thinking about the teams and, and stop worrying about Frisco and all those, those people worry about yourselves and our team. And I said, we're going to go in here and we're going to win three out of four. And I said, you know why? And they're all looking at me. And then, so I headbutted the luggage rack. Well, I headbutt the luggage <laughs> rack and then, then turn around and sit down. And, and Pete Incavilli is next to me. goes, DJ, that was awesome. <laughs> and then I'm looking at him. He's like, yeah. Yeah. And he goes, DJ, you're bleeding. And I'm like, and I, <laughs> so I said, so. And as I, as he said that, the blood's going down my face. And when I say it, the blood spits out on his suit. <laughs> well, he goes, turn on the lights, turn on the lights. So they turn on the lights and then uh, 
trainer comes back and says, Hey, you need to do this. But I say, I stand up again and turn around and, and look at all the guys. And then you see about four or five of the macho guys go, Oh, like they're <laughs> going to get sick because of the blood coming down on my face. But, um, so anyway, they, they, he wanted to go in and put a stitch in it. Uh, Mark did the trainer. And I'm like, no, no, just butterfly it and I'll be fine. And, uh, so then the next day I had to go and I had to wear my hat. And so I tried to put it down like I always do. Oh, that didn't white. So I, I had to wear my hat up like this because of the, <laughs> the cut was right up in there. So, but that was a, well, long story short too, though, we, uh, went on to win three out of four. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we've heard so many stories about uh, you guys being able to police yourselves and, and Jim allowing you guys and Dutch taking the lead on that and making sure. Uh, but uh, but that's another example, you know, you taking the reins at that point, a little bit of leadership and saying, hey, you know, enough is enough. Let's let's get back to what doing what we do well. And that's going out and taking care of business. Um to me, it's, it seems like a pretty big moment in in the second part of the season. There, yeah, I think I think that because we were in a little bit of a slide, and I don't, yeah. uh, I'm thinking we probably lost eight out of ten or something like that, and and Atlanta was getting close, and or and St. Louis, one of the two, were getting close, and and but after that, then we kind of went on a little hot streak and and put a little uh, distance between. Uh, us three and so yeah that was but I don't look at it that way I just look at it like you know just trying to straighten people out and, and do it do what we're supposed to do so yeah. but again it was fun yeah do you have a do you have a little scar My there doesn't say that it, <laughs> yeah it's on the it's like on the widow's peak right there where the crease is so it it's his memory. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and you know what? Uh, it's, it's cool. It, those kinds of stories to me are, are just great because it just goes to show you not everything was perfect in 93. You guys had your ups and downs and, and you had to work through them, but you were able to work through them uh, in order to get to where you wanted to be. And, uh, and that was the world series. Now, obviously it doesn't turn out the way Philadelphia hope doesn't turn out the way you guys had hoped, but um but I, I can't imagine a team uh, that is as beloved as the 93 team that, that didn't win at all. I mean, you know, it's easy to love a team that won at all. You guys fell just short, but yet I'm not sure there's a team in Philadelphia that's ever been as beloved as that team. It says a lot about you guys and the way you played. Well, I, I think that that whole team related to Philadelphia fans as a whole in the, in the city because it uh, we were looked at as – you know, blue collar, you know, hardworking guys. And against the, and I forget this against the, the frat boys of Atlanta, you know, yeah. and that thing, but, but that's the way Philadelphia is hardworking people. And they expect, you know, with their spending money on you, they're expecting you to, to win and, and play a hundred percent every, every pitch, every inning until, the last out and and i think they saw that from us from from the get-go there wasn't anybody that i can remember that uh, uh showed a lack of hustle or whatever right. um except for well there's a couple instances which you know i turned to the guy and like listen you need to get this thing done and it's respect and i said i don't care 
if you're going out and and the next inning to pitch or if, if you're going out there to, to field a ball or whatever, you give 100%. And yeah. it's all times. And so, but that's what the fans expected and that's and and right rightfully so. And that's why I think this team as a whole gets so is so remembered by it by the fans, but also we remember them. Um yeah. and the story of that one too is as I remember we had that uh, rain delay and and against San Diego and we were playing at four or five o'clock in the morning and the fans started coming back in the cheers back on. Well that helped us out a lot too. You know, they don't realize that that helped us a lot when they came back in and it was great for the Phillies organization to even let them, Oh, come on in, come right, on in the gates, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so that just tells you what the mix that we had and, and the great camaraderie that we had with, with our fans. Yeah. Yeah. And there were a lot of magical wins that season as well, that, uh, that we still remember to this day. Um, you know, you think back to, to Mariona Duncan's uh, grand slam. I, 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 we had Milt on earlier this year and uh, Milt's catch uh, up over the wall, Robin, I, I think it was a three run home run or, or whatever, but yeah. Yeah, just so many magical moments, the Mitchie Pooh base hit to, to win the, to win the late game. Um, yeah. It, a lot of fun uh, and a lot of fun for the fans to think back about those as well. And, and, you know, you talked about talking to your teammates, at that point, you know, you're a guy, you had two rings at that point, you had won two world series. So what you were saying kind of, I would imagine resonated with your teammates because you were a guy that had, you know, been there and, and seen what it takes to win it all. Yeah. And, and, and that's a, sometimes that's a tough part uh, about it because some guys and, and even today, and even back then, they don't want to say something because they're afraid that, you know, someone may take it the wrong way or someone may, right. Uh, may divide the team or whatever, but that's where, where the integrity of, of each individual comes in is that, okay, you know, he's saying this and he's been there. Maybe it's true. And so you, you self-reflect on that. And I think that's what, what part of the issue is, even in today's game, there's not a much there's not too much leadership that goes on with inside the game where people are telling people, Hey, you can't do this. You don't need to do that, this, that, whatever. Um, and I think that's the missing part of the missing link with, with yeah. today's baseball. So I would, I would agree with that. Uh, before you we were, we're running out of time, but before I, I let you go, I do want to mention this. Um, you win two World Series. You're part of the 93 team. Is it fair to say that uh, that 93 team, though, gave you some of the closest relationships that you still have in baseball today? I mean, are you, you I, know, I know that you're tight with a lot of the guys from 93. Um, you still see a lot of your teammates from the early years, too? I've, you know, I see some uh, guys, you know, like when I was in Cincinnati and that. And then I see, obviously, because I'm living here in Kansas City, I see some guys around here and and from the 85, but there's not too many of the 85 guys in Kansas city. They're, right. they're out of town. Uh, and then in Cincinnati, there's not a whole lot of guys from my understanding that are in Cincinnati, either of the, the 1990 team. Uh, and it seems to me, it's a little bit different in Philly, but um, I'm, I'm a lot closer to the Philly team. And I think it has a lot to do with, with how we were as a group. And that's not to say that, you know, I love Cincinnati. Sure. Cincinnati is a great city, and I love being with, with those guys there. And we just had a, 
or little, not a reunion, but it, it was uh, Marty Brenneman was in, inducted in the Hall of Fame. So we went there and, and met a lot of our uh, players that we played in 1990. Uh, but the, the difference between Kansas City and then the National League of Cincinnati and in Philadelphia is that I can walk around here in Kansas City today. No one knows who I am. <laughs> but if I walk around in Cincinnati and especially in, in Philadelphia, if I walk around, they know who I am. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with the organizations, which, you know, Cincinnati and, and, and especially Philadelphia, their organization of bringing back the players, the memories, um, the history of, of the organization. That's a big key. And Philadelphia does it obviously the best of, of all the teams that I've been on. And I, and I just love coming back to Philadelphia and, and, and that's why, you know, a lot of the players are close and all that because, you know, Philadelphia, the organization does a lot of, of things for, for the uh, alumni and, yeah. and it's just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We're lucky enough to see you, uh, each year, uh, at down a fantasy camp, uh, you're still involved with the Phillies fantasy camp and, uh, that's always a great time. And there's a bunch of 93 guys that are still involved in that. And I know also that, uh, you guys are also come back together often, maybe twice a year, um, in honor of Darren Dalton and Darren Dalton, the Darren Dalton foundation. There's an event coming up in October that you're going to be a part of a golf outing and a bartending night. Um, and, and, you know, we lost Dutch way too soon. You know, that's, we, we all know that, but the, the idea that you guys come back and, and celebrate his life and, and help raise money for his foundation, uh, that's an important part of keeping you all together too. Is it not? Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it's Darren had a, you know, when, when he was struggling with all the bills and things like that, you know, he needed help with uh, paying bills. And, and that's the same thing with all the cancer patients that, yeah. you know, they're spending so much money going, to and from treatments and this and that, that, that their, their personal bills are, are hurt. Um, so what the organization does is, is we help with paying the bills for all of the uh, people that have cancer and, and that's their home mortgage or their electric bill or, or even groceries or something like that. Uh, and, and that's what it's all about, you know, because of, of the situation they're in that, that, they didn't ask for, uh, and it's, and it's a tough situation. And I've lost, uh, Dutch would be the fourth or fifth player or coach that I lost from cancer, from brain cancer, wow. uh, in my career, which is kind of unusual. Yeah. And, but, uh, with Dutch's organization, it's always a great to come back and, and support them raising money to help with, uh, the families of the cancer patients. And, um, you know, it, it's great. I love coming back, love the organization, love working with, uh, with Darren and, and all the peoples that help with Darren's foundation. Yeah. Um, and it's a good memory. Yeah, no doubt. And anytime that uh, the 93 guys get together in Philadelphia, a, a good, a big crowd is to follow. And that uh, helps the organization, you know, the organization as well. Uh, for folks that are interested, it's the Darren Dalton foundation.org. You can go on there, take a look at the the events that are coming up. Uh, as we mentioned, a golf tournament, which is sold out, but they're also having a, a bartending night, celebrity bartending night, guys like Danny behind the bar, uh, slinging drinks and uh, raising money for the foundation. And 
93 slinging drinks. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, at live in the, right. the casino. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's lots to do. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, and hopefully I can, I can, you know, get you a drink so you can go back in the casino and win about a grand or something, you know? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice? Exactly <laughs> right. Drink. <laughs> yeah. Well, Danny, hey, look, uh, thank you so much for spending a couple minutes with us and uh, telling us your glove stories. Uh, it, really a terrific career. And we were so lucky to have you for a very short period of time in Philadelphia, but such an important part of the organization. 1993 will always be remembered as such a special year. The two years that you spent here, uh, 94, you had an outstanding season before the, the, the strike happens. So, uh, or for the shutdown happens happens but um but uh, you weren't here long but you certainly made an impact and uh and we thank you for that and we thank you for stopping by and and telling us some of your stories yeah thank you murph and it's always my pleasure to be around and talk to you and look forward to seeing you down in the fantasy camp yes I, i look forward to that as well as things get back to normal Hopefully, we'll all be back down there and enjoying some baseball as well. Danny Jackson joining us here on Glove Stories. Uh, We'll be right back with more. Stay with us. Hey, everyone. Murph here. And the Parks Sportsbook app is the official sportsbook partner of the real Philly sports fan. Bet on it all. Baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Live in-game play-by-play betting lets you bet while you watch. No better way to bet right now than the Parks Sportsbook app. The only sportsbook app backed by the number one casino in Pennsylvania and the only one I recommend. No one does live in-game play-by-play betting better. Bet the money line as it changes during the game on the Park Sportsbook app. Plus, bet on individual player performances. In baseball, you can bet on hits, home runs, and pitcher strikeouts every inning. How about golf? You can bet on match winners, bet on leaders after rounds, and more new customers sign up right now and get your first bet risk-free up to $500. Just download the app or click parkscasino.com forward slash PA and use promo code action. Do it now. Your first bet risk-free up to $500. Just download the app or click parkscasino.com forward slash PA and use that promo code action The website has all the details, get game previews, podcasts, and more on Twitter at Parks Sportsbook. You must be 21 and in Pennsylvania. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Glove Stories with Murph is brought to you by Red Robin. Whether you're hungry for a juicy gourmet burger with bottomless steak fries and an ice cold beer or a crispy chicken tender salad and freckled lemonade, whatever you crave, there's something for everyone at Red Robin. So dine in or order curbside to go. Delivery or catering. Order online now at order.redrobinpa.com. And welcome back to another episode of Glove Stories with Murph, brought to you by the Parks Casino Sportsbook app and the good folks at Red Robin as well. And as we do every other week, we bring Larry Boa in. And generally, we bring Larry in to uh, talk a little bit about a game from 1980 as they march towards that uh, championship that they won in 1980. But this week, we're going to do something a little different because uh, we lost a member of the Phillies family this week, someone who was very close to that 1980 team, obviously. Uh, we lost Rooley Carpenter. And Larry, I know you were very close to Rooley, and uh, he meant so much to the organization. But that that 1980 team, uh, it doesn't happen without him. No. Uh, Rooley was a special individual. And when I heard the news, it was probably one of the saddest days I've had in a long time. Uh, not only was he a great owner, he was a great friend to everybody. He would talk to you about 
your personal life. He would talk to you about fundraisers. He would, he, he would, he's just a great guy, uh, Murph. And you know, those kind of guys, they're far and few between, uh, he's a guy that was obviously as far as wealth is concerned, had no concerns, but he was very down to earth. Didn't show any airs about himself. He would just, one of the guys he'd come down the clubhouse after games sometimes and just talk. And it didn't have to be about baseball, just life in general. Yeah. But uh, he was also a guy that if you had an issue with baseball, he didn't tell you what you wanted to hear. He told you what he felt, which I think everybody on our team respected that. He, he always looked you dead in the eye and said, Hey, you're not doing this or you're doing really good here. But uh, he's going to be missed unbelievably and uh that's a integral part of our success in 80 without him we without him and dallas green and paul this team would have never won because they formed that core group of guys that that eventually got there where they wanted to go in the mid-70s just like in 08 when they had that core group of guys you need that core group of guys murph as you well know you've been covering baseball uh, you can't keep going out and plugging in a free agent here. You, you need a core group, and then you fill around that. And we did that in 80. We did it very well. Yeah, and and what was interesting, you know, I think a lot of times fans and, and uh, players probably bristle when you hear about an owner being involved in player personnel situations. or But really made it a point, he's obviously a very bright guy, and he made it a point to learn and be able to really kind of evaluate on his own what he what he thought made a good ball player, and he was right more often than not, was he not? There's no question, and and like you said, he learned on like on the job training. He would ask people. He would ask uh, uh, Dallas Green. He would ask Paul Owens. You know, he didn't have all the answers, and if he didn't have the answer, he would find out. He would go to someone that did have the answer. I remember uh, my very first spring training down in Leesburg, Florida. That was before the the big team went to uh, Clearwater and uh, he was down there just like the minor leaguers watching all the minor league players. And to this day, I look back when he was the owner and he didn't go on all road trips and everything, but he went down when we were on the road, he went down and watched the minor leagues. And I think that sort of rubbed off on Dave Montgomery as Dave Montgomery continued that, that, that path. He knew every, minor league player. He knew their families. He knew what school they went to, where they were drafted. Uh, these were the, him and, and Dave Montgomery. You talk about getting involved in the minor league system. They were all in. And I think that had a lot to do with the successes of both those individuals. Yeah. And also I would imagine that uh, the connection between your particular team, the guys in, in your clubhouse and Ruley, I mean, close in age. And I think that probably also played a part because you guys kind of looked at each other as peers, right? Yeah, we did. We, we, we like, we were like brothers down there, you know, and he literally told us after, uh, after 79, you know, he said, Hey guys, I do not want to break this team up, but we have got to advance. He says, I'm not saying win the world series. We got to get to the world series. I mean, he laid that foundation way in advance and you know, that put something in our minds and I'll never forget the day that he came into the clubhouse. This was after, 81 or 82 when he says uh, he had a big meeting he says i just want to let everybody know he an owner does not have to do this he says i am putting the team up for sale he says i didn't i don't see this going in the way that i projected it 
It seems like we'd be giving out a lot of money to free agents. He says, I don't mind giving out money to free agents that are great players, but I do mind giving out a lot of money to guys who are just average players. And uh, he says, I'm going to have to sell. And you, it was like, you talk about a hush in a room. Everybody dropped their head because we knew we were losing not only a great owner, but a great person. But in all fairness to Ruley, he kept in touch with everybody. I mean, till two weeks, a week before he passed, he was talking to me on the phone. He, he just to call Bull. They still were going on hunting trips. It was so sudden and it caught a lot of people off guard because he was at the alumni weekend and we had a ball there, man. He was, we were exchanging stories and laughing and carrying on. And uh, they caught me way off guard when this happened. Yeah, I know it did for for a lot of folks, and you know it's it's special when an owner is able to connect like that, um, and it's it's even more special. You know, I've heard so many of the stories and and the tributes that have come in over the last couple of days uh, about Rooley, and uh, you know, to a man, everyone did stay in touch, and everyone still uh, was connected to him, and he was connect from afar. He certainly didn't meddle; it wasn't his team anymore, but he he was a Philadelphia Phillies fan through oh. and through. Oh, he, when he called me on the phone, he calls me two or three times a year, and he would bring up names. He said, "What's uh, what's Moniac like? Or what's Mate on?" And I'm sitting there saying, "God, he's following everything we do, you know." And I give him my little scouting report. He goes, "Okay." And then he'd say, "Do you think this guy's got a chance?" I say, "Yeah, really." I, I mean, but he was still, he had that Philly blood in him, and uh, uh, to the day he passed away, he he loved the Philadelphia Phillies. He certainly did. Well, uh, Larry, our condolences to you. I know you guys were close. Uh, yeah. uh, the Phillies organization as well. Uh, they lost a good one this week, uh, Ruley Carpenter. And uh, we just wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about him, remembering him, and um, you know, thanking him for all the uh, memories that he delivered to the city of Philadelphia as well. So uh, well, Ruley he'll always be he'll always be remembered. He was an integral part of our, our success. There's no question. Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah, you got it. Let's take a quick yeah. break. We'll be right back. Love Stories with Murph is brought to you by Red Robin. Whether you're hungry for a juicy gourmet burger with bottomless steak fries and an ice cold beer or a crispy chicken tender salad and freckled lemonade, whatever you crave, there's something for everyone at Red Robin. So dine in or order curbside to go, delivery or catering. Order online now at order.redrobinpa.com. Glove Stories with Murph is presented by Parks Casino Sportsbook app. New users download an app store or click parkscasino.com slash PA and use the promo code MONEY for first bet risk-free up to $500. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Love Stories with Murph is presented by Parks Casino Sportsbook app and Red Robin and is a production of SBC Media Partners. The engineer for Glove Stories is Chad Evans. Cindy Webster is our marketing and guest relations director and our executive producer is Roger Haddon. Whether you are watching us on YouTube or downloading the podcast from one of our major podcast providers like Apple, Google, or Spotify, make sure to hit like and subscribe so that we can let you know when a new episode of Glove Stories is available. We'll release new episodes weekly throughout the 2021 Major League Baseball season.